0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Miller, the host of today's episode and head of content partnerships here at Provoke. Um, with us today, we have Armando Triana, SVP of social media at CoinPR, where he oversees the social media practice. And Henry Langer, VP of customer success at Julius, an influence influence marketing platform that helps marketers run influence Influencer marketing campaigns more efficiently. Uh, In today's episode, we're exploring um, the state of the influencer uh, space, how it's evolved from the pandemic. um, Really, from parents seeking advice to raise their family, at home chefs looking for their next tasty recipe, or the traveler looking for their daily dose of Wonderless, influencers are educating and entertaining a growing number of our audiences. Um, While this industry was already clipping along at a rapid pace pre 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 pandemic. Uh, the space has really um, started to explode. So we're excited to have Armando and Henry both here with us today to unpack that a little bit more. So good to have you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate
1: it. Thanks for um, having
0: me. Absolutely, uh, Armando. I'll, I'll I'll kick kick it over to you first, but. Um, sure. It's safe to say like this space has always kind of felt like the wild wild West, whether that's to p r agencies, publishers, marketing, um, but it's steadily becoming more and more known and and defined um, from your experience, how have you seen this space change from from the perspective of p r agencies
2: Sure. well again, thank you for uh for having me on here. Um, I think you know what we have seen the last few years is really with the rise of these online influencers and social media platforms overall becoming more sophisticated um, is is really a growing audience uh, across across the social space, across with these online influencers. And, you know, online influencers for a PR agency isn't anything too new when you think about it, right? PR a long time ago was you got your celebrity uh, in in place for a campaign. Then it was bloggers and mommy bloggers. It's really just kind of filling in the next evolution of who influences people, that word of mouth um, that we all know, whether it's a friend or a family member now it's it's online and it's people that are gaining trust um, you know they're allowing people into their lives um, behind the scenes what they're doing, and they're building that relationship with those followers and so um, really, with that trust we've seen honestly in the last few years, budgets shift um, from other communications and marketing disciplines to influencer and we have brands companies cmos um, pr folks saying we need to reach a target audience and we want to use influence to do influencers to do so so we have seen a big shift of, of of marketing and communication budgets shifting over to the influencer space
0: Absolutely. And Henry, you obviously work with many companies who are all kind of trying to make this shift and, and streamline it all. What um, What are some of the changes that you've seen in in the needs that have come to you um, from the agency and publisher perspectives? Yeah. Um,
1: and just to echo Armando, you know, thank you very much to Provoke and also to Coin for having me today. Um, so I think one thing that's definitely changed is that there's a little bit of more of like a legitimization around our discipline. You know, it used to be that the team members that we were working with at brands or at agencies would be kind of straddling a lot of different kinds of disciplines. Maybe they worked in digital, maybe they worked in public relations. But now what we're finding is that there are entire departments whose job it is is to really focus on influencer. Um, and, you know, that echoes just the size of the industry and, and how it's really uh, exploded, especially over the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so, you know, now instead of working with someone who at the same time is maybe building out a website or working on a press release, you're working with, a team, or my team is working with team members on the client side who are working with influencers 24-7, 365. And that's just really speaks to just the size of the industry and 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 where it's gone from, from when we started yeah. uh, Julius, you know, a couple years ago. Just
0: like from a foundational, like, fundamentals perspective here as we start this conversation um, what both of you have kind of talked about like how how so many departments previously were kind of owning this space a little bit and everybody had um, a small stake in the decision of influencers for their brand or their client um, is it safe to say that there's kind of like two categories of use cases for an influencer and, and how you know, from a PR perspective, we're thinking about them and a conversion perspective, we're thinking about them. Um, Henry, is that something or that you're seeing at all um, with the way people are using? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I think there is like a little bit of a misconception though, um, which is that you have to choose whether or not the goal is to drive, um, you know, awareness or conversion Mm-hmm. In reality, what we're often finding is that um, a brand's appetite for the trade-off between uh, you know, brand awareness and conversion is typically a spectrum. Um, and where a brand falls in that spectrum is going to just vary based on what it is that they're looking to accomplish. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's impossible to not spread the word about something on social media. That's the intrinsic point of social media. It's just about whether or not the goal is to get someone to click you know, uh, a trackable link and use a tokenized Mm -hmm. system to to check out and understand that information. Or if you're just really just trying to get the word out.
0: Yeah. It makes so much sense. I mean, like, um, I I'm thinking about like your role Armando and how that's really changed even in the way like coin has structured your social media practice. Like, um, Historic, like My background prior to this role at, at Provoke was working from a publisher side and we'd encounter a PR agency. We'd encounter a media agency. We'd, encounter, we'd maybe talk to the brand and everybody's like investing in this persona or face of a brand or a message or a campaign, but really it's like such an optimal place for, for PRs to kind of, for PR to own that. And I'm, I'm so interested in how that's informed, like developing your social media practice.
2: Sure. Absolutely. So I think, you know, overall, as you mentioned, influencer feels so, you know, natural to fall within, within PR. Um, and, I think, uh, you know, how we have it at at COIN and and really the growth of the social media practice has really been more around um, when we want to work from a contracted perspective with some influencers, we still have our PR colleagues who they work more of the non-contracted influencer. So really, when we're looking at a campaign, a product launch, just overall brand awareness, um, we can fit in multiple types of influencers different tiers but also different objectives maybe they're being part of you know they're receiving a mailer uh, you know we're seeding them products um you know my pr co- colleagues are handling that while we're working on more of what's the digital content look like mm-hmm. what are they doing across the space is there a live experience you know a uh, uh, instagram live experience Um, What does a TikTok, you know, uh, content look like there and really bringing that all together. So there's that online digital content that might be at the event as well, you know, in real time, sharing behind the scenes stories, you know, on their Instagram account. So Mm -hmm. kind of having this multi-layered approach to influencer, really working hand in hand. And at the same time, we do work with, you know, clients who have other, um, you know, agencies, creative agencies, media agencies, we'll work very closely with them. If we're looking at that digital content, we want to amplify that a little bit more through some paid support, or it might be a full on, Advertising campaign. We'll work very closely with them. We're sourcing, identifying the influencers, working through all the logistics, uh, and then working with that media agency, you know, to to go in, provide that paid support, amplify that, drive some more conversions, drive, you know, to target audiences a little bit deeper, um, and and working hand in hand uh, to make sure, you know, every campaign is successful.
1: Yeah, well, the like, uh, thing about, sorry to- uh, No, 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 go for it. That's great. Something that's so interesting about what Armando just said in that answer is, listen to how many disciplines just came out of uh, his mouth. You know, you had advertising, you had paid social, you had digital, you had- So influencers have infiltrated everything, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just about, you know, how you integrate them into your strategy. And I think that the best influencer marketing campaigns that we see- feel holistic, they're plugged into, you know, a, a larger strategy that involves multi-channel, you know, because what happens so often is that, you know, a brand comes up with an influencer strategy and it's just, we're just going to have the influencer post about this on social media, but the conversation has grown to be so big and your share of voice with that one post is so small now. You know that if you aren't coming up with other ways to build legs for those campaigns, it's it's just going to fall on deputies. And I think that's one thing that we see Coin do really well um, is you know thinking about you know paid social amplification, and then what are the other PR avenues to get the word out about the content? That's going to make sure that it hits more eyeballs. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, just to add to that, I think uh, going back to how you know seeing dollars shift over to influencer. Sometimes, you know, it's still educating, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and we'll have clients ask us, hey, we need to do influencer, you know, they don't really know why (laughs) they just know, you know, hey, my kids mentioned, right? Um, And or other people, you know, I have my team telling me we need to do influencer. They don't, but they don't really know exactly what to do and where to go. And obviously, you know, that's why um, me, my team coin is, is there to help and support and guide. Yeah. Um, and, and really, you know, to Henry's point about kind of having that holistic integrated approach. We never, just like social media, right? Own social media. You never want necessarily a social campaign to live on, to live siloed and same thing with influencer. We don't want it to live silo. How does this go across brand objectives mm-hmm. versus just, you know, there's a piece of content that lives on Instagram, because if it just lives there by itself, I can tell you right now, at the end of the campaign, it probably might not get the results that we were hoping for We're right. talking about this larger approach. And it's definitely how can influencer be integrated across communication and marketing, um, you know, campaigns, objectives. Um, overall, that's when again, we, we see the, the, the most success.
0: I can't help but think of this metaphor that that's kind of like in the healthcare industry right now for internal health communications, where um, patients have so many different points of care, but there's nobody at that hub. And so they find out, you know, like you're on this medication that's actually compromising this medication and this one's cannibalizing that. And these two are, are counteracting. Like it's such a logical space for the, for the PR agency to really be that central point of care or like the center of the hub that all these spokes of other efforts are coming out of just because if you're going to invest in brand, like this face of your brand in any capacity, it should be strategic across all the points just to maximize your reach and and the impact of it. Um, So it's really, yeah,
1: we saw right in, you know, the 2010 through like 2016 timeframe was like this unpacking, you know, it used to be like the AOR was the buzzword and you had agencies of records for specific mm-hmm. brands. You know, when I started in the industry, that's what the reality was. But then, you know, fast forward just a couple of years later and you have agencies saying, we're the official AOR specifically for social media, specifically for this brand, specifically within that umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. And so the issue there is exactly what you said, Megan, which is that, you know, there's a lack of continuity of voice. Because if the influencers sound one way, but the brand voice sounds another way, you know, customers are really smart now. You know, mm-hmm. they know what Charmin is supposed to, Charmin is supposed to sound like, right? They know yeah. that they're a liquor company. They know that they don't have some sort of a elaborate, massive, you know, uh, voice, uh, but they, but that they're very tongue in cheek, you know, if right. you go and you work with, you know, a celebrity influencer to push that, it's possible that that isn't going to work as well as a mom blogger. Who's going to maybe be a little bit more campy in their content, that mm-hmm. two different agencies doing those two different campaigns. It's possible that the left hand isn't talking to the right hand. And so, you know, consolidation is something that could be coming, uh, as sort of the next frontier because of that. Because yep. if you don't get that right, you know, customers are going to start to know that uh, they're becoming yeah. a little bit more in tune with just how many different ways they're being spoken to.
0: It can feel so fragmented when you're, you know, whether it's a, like a car brand and you're working with the yeah. new model release next to the legacy model and each one has its own team. And then there's like three separate media teams out of that. Those, those voices really do sound different. Or the, the like purpose behind the influencers or the strategy behind why those influencers have been chosen can feel really disconnected, yeah
2: yeah, and a lot of the times you know when we go in and with a with a new client or a new campaign uh, we obviously we want to take inventory, we want to understand all you know we ask the the, the questions of we want to understand everything that's happening, we ask for their social strategy to understand. What is it that they're doing? How can influencer partnership content activations help to support that? What are they doing from a media perspective? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, going back to your point of being the hub, um, and it's simply just asking the questions, you know, why? Why Mm -hmm. do you want to do influencer? Um, Sometimes clients don't know. uh, Sometimes they have a very clear objective, such as Mm -hmm. we don't have a social media team and we need great content and we just need- People create content for us. Um, again, going back to advertising, so really just unpacking all of that, understanding all the different things that are happening, um, and then really providing that strategic um, recommendation on how, where, why, and what type of influencers uh, are, are most important.
1: Yeah, and Armando, I think that that's something that's so often overlooked as a value that influencers can bring as content creators, not only as their own intellectual property as a vehicle, right? So. You know, by that, I mean, you know, if you're sitting there watching an ad and, you know, you see a, a paid spokesperson speaking the ad versus if you see a scale actor, you know, oftentimes you're looking at that scale actor and you're like, is that an influencer? Is that someone that I'm supposed yeah. to know who that is? And when it's not, there's that feeling of disappointment, right? Yeah. And so the same goes on social media. You know, you're kind of like looking at a brand's channel and you're like, is this someone I'm supposed to know? And when the answer is yes, there is that feeling of like fulfillment that that brand that, that mm-hmm. that is in the is in the relevant space, not in the irrelevant space. And so um, you know, the ability to repurpose content on your own social channels uh, is really important. And when you think about what influencers cost versus what it costs to hire an actor and then pay a photographer and then set up a photo shoot, oftentimes it's really cost effective to have influencers create content for you.
0: Um, I'm going to throw something out to the crowd here. Curious for both perspectives, but the position on, or if you have a position on um, heavily managing the content that comes out of an influencer or like, what's the sweet spot for letting it retain that influencer's own brand voice and then also like watching it for brand safety on your client side.
2: So, I think if we're talking um, the pharma space, there are, you know, that's one one place where, you know, creativity and, and all of that is, has some limitations. I think other regulated industries as well, but I think overall, um, when we talk about a lot of our, you know, um, consumer space, verticals, travel, uh, food and recipe, parenting, CPG, things like that, A lot of the times, not a lot of times, all the time we say, you know, we need to have that balance 100% and do not want to have prescriptive content that's not natural to the influencer's voice. So it is, again, this balance of making sure that there's brand messaging and, and, you know, whatever the brand objectives incorporated but it needs to come through very naturally in the influencer's voice. They Mm -hmm. know, they know what works on their channels. They know what followers respond to engage with what they like, what they don't like. So we, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's, again, going back to educating uh, our our clients to, you know, having that balance, making sure you have a very solid brief in the very beginning of, Here's everything that we want to incorporate Um, and really keeping messaging down, boiling it down to one, two, two main points. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to keep, if there's too many messages, it just comes across very scattered. You want to have it be very focused. Um, And so we always, always say that um, we can provide a brief, we can provide guidance um, and, and, but letting the influencer take it from there and letting them a lot of, I mean, most of the time, you know, it's more, it's the content's better than we could ever have imagined because they, they understand how to weave in, especially the you know, influencers that have been doing this for many years yeah. now, they have, you know, this is their business. This is their job. They understand how to work with brands. They understand how to incorporate all of these things in a very natural way, authentic way to them um and and really you know making sure that at the end of the day they're meeting the kpis whether that's you know video views or engagements or reach um because you know they understand that uh, a a reel works better than a story um or whatever that may be um and the type of setting um that makes most sense to drive you know to drive the best results with their followers
1: yeah one thing I'll, I'll tell my clients frequently is that your feedback for influencers should be about uh, factual accuracy okay. and not about style. You know, if you're a pharma brand, that's a great example. You, you read my mind, Armanda, you know, there are some serious repercussions that could come and also some serious like scary outcomes that could come from talking about the brand in the wrong way. Um, but, you know, if you're not in the pharma space and you're pushing a CPG brand and you're pushing something where there is less risk. You know, you really, the only thing that you want to be telling an influencer that they've done wrong is potentially that they're not using the right FTC compliance language because you could be liable um, or just that they're, that, that they didn't say the right thing about the product. Other than that, style wise, you need to let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm a broken record now because now I've said this three times, but just <laughs> Uh, audience members are smarter than they've ever been you know they are looking they're sniffing for that b s factor every single time right and so when they're like oh wow an influencer found a way to really say this thing that might have been a little bit canned um but they said it their way you know that's when it really hits that's when it really works and that's when you say this is an integration that I should look at right mm-hmm. but when it's like they fed them the copy, and they copied and pasted it. It's gonna not work, you know. Brands are brands yeah. are really should not be doing
2: that. It's it's a mistake.
0: And um, you know, the- what happens also? Oh,
2: what also happens is you know we're all yes, uh, you know, you have a contract. Okay, yes, we're paying. You know, I'm paying you um to just do the content, but. At the end of the day, you're, you know, this relationship that you're building. And if you can really have magic happen from, you know, a content piece between an influencer and a brand, it can evolve and grow into something really great um, and this more long-term partnership versus just like this one-off. And to you know, Henry's point, audiences can see, you know, uh, uh, they just... Like, took the check, dialed it in, was like,
1: mm.
2: you know, it was just that that's what it was, right? Um, and you never want that, right? You want it to be, you know, I'll give you one example. Sarah V is one example of ours that we started working with them, just conducting some social listening, finding authentic influencers who were just loved the brand, were using their products. Um, we, you know, reached reached out to them to have a more formal partnership. Um, and that first piece of content that was published, the, uh, the 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 followers went nuts. They were so happy for the influencer because you've been talking about them for years. It's so happy that they heard you, so happy that they mm-hmm. listened. Um, so they're fully vested into this influencer, you know, and their life. And, um, you know, they know what's relevant to them and that it's not, you know, it it truly is this, you know, really nurturing relationship and not a one-off, you know, grab a check and and, and run.
1: Yeah. I think social listening has made it easier to do that, right? Like the ability to find influencers that are organically speaking about a brand has never been easier. And I think that, you know, being able to use that as a core pillar of your strategy is always going to be really helpful because- you know, audiences don't want to be talked at, they like conversations, right? You know, mm-hmm. social media is a social place. And so if they feel like this is, you know, a layer to a conversation, now the brand is just dipping their toe in to add value. That always is going to work better than a brand just completely out of the blue, you know, sparking a brand new conversation. That's where people are just going to keep scrolling.
0: Totally. And, and interestingly enough, though, all this is great in theory, and that's always how the industry has sort of been handled or regarded with clients. But I think I suspect and and know from experience, like it's certainly shifting to the spot of like, how do you show me the ROI? Like that all sounds logical. It all sounds like it makes sense, but that feels risky without a number or a sure. metric that shows me it actually worked. So I don't know. Who wants to take it? I think Henry, that's very much your space. You've seen the success across many companies. Um, Armando, you've obviously probably seen it with your own clients. But any good examples out there that either of you can think of, like anecdotally, of of where that risk has really paid off, and and the types of metrics that you're using um, to support the the strategy? Yeah.
2: Yep. So- <laughs>
0: I should have. I should have picked
2: Let, one of you. It's my fault. <laughs> Let me, um, Henry. If you don't mind, I'll just go in. I'll throw in one. one you know, one great example again, and then oh, you, from kind of just larger. You know, the uh, context you have there. So uh, I'll throw in. Um, you know, a L'Oreal brands, You know, Sarah V. Again, when we started working with them, they only had about a handful of influencers that they worked with. They knew they wanted to do a little bit more. And when we talk about success, um, you know, it's really they just wanted it was focused on just getting some awareness. Um, And that's really where where our focus was. And we worked with strategic partners uh, to do so. And over the, you know, the last couple of years, it's, it has built into, if you read, you know, the, the online stories or you follow TikTok, um, you know, it has led to products not being able to be found on shelves because people are just buying, you know, all of the Saravi products. So when we talk about ROI, again, you, when you ask the questions in the beginning, you understand what is it that you're looking to do. Um, and here's how we can get you there. Right. And if it's reach, if it's conversions um, and really, you know, putting it down on paper. So everyone's on, uh, on the same page because everyone has a different understanding. Some people think that they want they're going to work with 100 influencers and have a thousand pieces of content, you know, with a very limited budget. Um, and so it's just setting those expectations of this is what the budget can do to meet your meet your objectives um, and, and getting there.
0: Mm -hmm. and henry like on the performance side like the ability to measure any of that you know we can say hypothetically none of us can find a stanley mug on the shelves right now probably an influencer did that but like when we actually need to quantify it um i think that's places where like julius comes into to the equation but um any success stories that you've seen where you've really been able to like tell that that roi story
1: yeah, absolutely. So I think just like one of the biggest metrics that are that's being used on the awareness side is a is a the concept of earned media value. So earned media value is you know the the dollar amount that you've garnered um, in in media as a result of working with that influencer. And the reason why it's such an important metric, especially um, you know for people who are going to be listening to this podcast, for example, is that it's a it's a metric that you use for other forms of media too. So when you're talking about the success of a print ad or an ad on the side of a bus, you know, the, the purveyors of those, uh, the publishers or the people who sell that space will always give you those results in earned media. So being able to compare and contrast what you've garnered in earned media from an influencer campaign to other forms of media are really important because as Armando mentioned at the top of the podcast, you know, this this money that's flowing into the influence marketing industry, the influence marketing industry, you know, growing before. 40 plus percent over COVID isn't because more money is being spent by brands on marketing. It's because they're taking money from other places. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to justify that, you need to be able to compare and contrast the success of these campaigns to successive campaigns that have absolutely nothing to do with influencer marketing. And so that's where, you know, on the the awareness side, you know, that's really important. Then on the conversion side, it's really important that brands put um, the appropriate tracking in place to at least try and get a grasp of attribution. You know, things like tracking links, tokenized systems uh, via UTM and and then all the way through to checkout data, um, Mm -hmm. really important pieces of feedback if you're looking for more like a call to action based campaign. I think the integration of um, uh, point of sale apps like Shopify and Mm Magento and WooCommerce into the space have made it a lot easier to get that information. um, And that's why they're so popular with brands. Um, because you know you do have that ability to get that feedback via things like coupon codes and tracking links um, and so you know like I said in the beginning it depends on where you fall in the spectrum in terms of which of these metrics you're going to use but the underlying theme is that if you looked at a wrap report in 2016 2017 it's talking about likes and comments here we're talking about a completely different set of metrics that are way more evolved and it speaks to just how far the industry's come in terms of you know, becoming, like I said, at the beginning, a legitimized practice.
0: Yeah, there's um, this I as a consumer, I've been seeing uh, kind of I think it's an interesting trend, but perhaps, I, I'm not sure if it's like an actual strategy out there at the moment. But I've seen more and more influencers who are um, like they've gotten the wardrobe haul from whatever store. And they'll try it all on, but it like the first three things they won't like, like this didn't look great. on me. I'm not keeping it. And they'll go to, and it'll be like the last two items that they'll like and keep. And I'm like, God, that's a, that's a risky, that's a scary step for a brand to like trust that that approach is going to work. But honestly, as a consumer, I'm like, I believe it a lot more to know that like, that doesn't look good on everybody. And we all know that every store isn't for every single person. Um, or every item in a store isn't. So I'm any thoughts on that? I'm just interested.
1: I think the riskiest part about that is just how, how like short the consumer's attention span has gone. Mm-hmm. In a move from YouTube to TikTok, like crazy. And you think about long form to short form content. I think COVID had a lot to do with that. People are at yeah. home, they're bored. They wanted to just cram as much content into their brains as possible. And when you have to watch you know, a three minute style haul, it's not yep. gonna happen. So the the biggest risk you're taking if you don't like those first three pieces of content is that by the time you get to the one that you do like, actually someone's moved on from the content. So if you're going to do that, you need to make sure you have a really good hook at the opener, um, sure you retain
2: people's attention. And and I think it goes back to the following as the, the, the the followers and the audience of Mm an influencer as well. Right. And that influencer feels comfortable, uh, you know, with their audience that they can take them along this journey back to the longer, longer video. Um, yeah. to me, that to me, that also speaks to like the, the, you know, the trend of here's what I ordered. Right. And it's this fabulous yeah. photo shoot shot. And then here's what I got. And it's like the, you know, the top is too short or it's too long, you know, and it, it, it's that funny kind of fail moment. So it's almost, mm. you know, is it piquing that interest or like getting that like attention? Oh, is it? What is it going to look like? Is it going to yeah. look awful? Um, is going to be a funny moment, and then kind of and you know kind of walking through or taking the the, the follower through that uh, storytelling experience.
0: Yeah,
2: Armando,
1: you had a line in a conversation we had um, that I I really liked, and this is just like I'm prompting you to to, to speak. <laughs> you, you mentioned sure. you think that the TikTok influencer is the new Netflix original. Yeah, <laughs> what came to mind as you were saying that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we talked about COVID, right? And we talked about the beginning of, of COVID, TikTok was known as, you know, the, 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 the teenage, young adult platform, you know, I think Facebook 15 years ago. Um, and, but then through the pandemic, when there was all this doom scrolling happening and all this bad news, people were looking for an outlet. TikTok was already there. There was adults who may have downloaded it, but they didn't really go on. And all of a sudden now they find themselves, you know, getting served all this great content from influencers, from regular people that now are turning into influencers over the course of the pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, that that's with this, all this relatable content that they're interested in, whether it's recipes, whether it's nostalgia, there's a lot of nostalgia out there, like, you know, nineties babies, eighties babies, that type of thing. Um, and you know, they're they're creating a lot of this content that now their followers are just going down a rabbit hole and just consuming, you know, minutes, hours at a time, two hours have passed. And you're like, what have I done with myself? <laughs> um, you know, this is what we used to do when the new Netflix original came out. I mean, think of Tiger King at the beginning of the pandemic. We were all watching and we all, all been interested it right we were all in together in terms of watching this crazy documentary um and now we all have that same you know community on tiktok with the like-minded people and we all are, you know know the latest sayings the latest trends the latest you know this challenge whatever it may be um we're, we're all sharing in that and we're all binging on that uh, honestly as
0: well it's such a Fun metaphor to kind of wrap up here on today when we think about just the the common thread that unites us all. It's it's a comedian on TikTok. At the end of the day, we can all relate to whatever that one story was. Um, also, the throwback to Tiger King, like I can't believe the pandemic was that long ago. That feels really long ago. <laughs> or started that long ago. Um, yeah, long ago that
1: there's now a fictional version of Tiger King. <laughs> right. And it's been.
0: Bringing you our own dose of nostalgia here on the Provoke Media Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, you guys, this has been so fun to chat with both of you. A conversation that very much could have gone on for several minutes, hours to come. Um, Thank you both for being here, Henry and Armando. Um, Just a great, a great episode of the Provoke Media Podcast. Thank you to Coin for sponsoring. Yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketers.